dust and breath we all Welcome to This Good Word, where every week we look at one single word in an endless discovery of reclaiming what's holy about our humanity. My name is Steve Weens. I'm a pastor, I'm a writer, and I'm a father of three crazy boys. My hope with this podcast is to create an environment where you can continually discover who you actually are in the world. So feel free to check out my website at steveweens.com, S-T-E-V-E-W-I-E-N-S.com, where you can find links to my blog, to purchase my book, which is called Beginnings, The First Seven Days of the Rest of Your Life, and also links to follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Enjoy the podcast, everybody. everybody here we are this good word we're in richfield <laughs> we're in richfield it is the urban small town of richfield home of home of what steph home of best buy mm-hmm. home of the starbucks right by your house <laughs> uh we're here with rabbi alan allman hello rabbi you can call me Al. Oh, i love it this is our third time with you is it and three. Three. And we're hitting numbers today. We're going to talk about the mystical, transformative, mysterious presence and power of numbers in the scriptures. I think we're going to hit three, five, seven, ten, and forty. At least. <laughs> ah, there might be more. There might be. Uh, we're going to hit pie too, right? Are we going <laughs> to hit pie? <laughs> Only if it's like pecan or something. Oh, my gosh. oh, let's pretend it's noon somewhere, even though it's 7, dark 30 a.m. Noah Ullman. Hello, Noah. Hi, Steve. Noah um, is Alan's son who is apprenticing to be a rabbi. Yes, sir. And, I mean,. So, Alan, I don't know if you know this, but when I'm just with Noah, without you, I ask him questions like, well, what would you do differently <laughs> than your dad? And you know what? What? He has answers. Oh, I want to hear. Can we hear now? I think that's time for a different podcast. <laughs> so, uh, Noah's here. And Steph Spencer is here, too. Hi, Steph. Hi. Steph is the executive director of 40 Orchards, which is a new nonprofit, which gathers people together in scripture circles to study in the in the way of questions and journeys and i love it i love what 40 orchards is doing we'll put a link to the show on the show notes for 40 orchards and um so and steph i mean this is something to talk about like not in on on like live but you need to go on the podcast too i want to talk about enneagram with you oh boy the word will be enneagram sounds good so you enneagram nerds uh, I think I've said I'm a three before, which means I'm a manipulative liar. <laughs> people pleaser. That's probably why I said this on, hey, do you want to be on my podcast? So you can, <laughs> see, so you can like me more. 
my favorite thing to be liked, so it'll be a great pair. Mm. <laughs> All right. Oh, enough silliness. Let's get to the real silliness. So um, That would be me. That would be you, <laughs> Alan. So, Alan, we are going to talk about those numbers. But before I do that, I thought uh, it would be a, a, an interesting and good question to review how you see the scriptures. And I know that's a broad question, but I know you can have a laser beam answer. How do you see the scriptures? Because I think that'll lay a bedrock for our conversation that's about to follow regarding numbers. There's a way of um, reading scripture wherein it's uh, decontextualized, meaning we're only studying this verse or this passage without looking at it in relationship to that which has come before and that which has come after. And one of the things that I see a number of people working towards is what I would call a cross-textual reading of any passage. So as we're studying, we're looking to see how the rivers and trajectories of spirit, ideas, words, all move through the text together as one. So that any interpretation isn't one's interpretation about this passage outside of any context, but rather within a river. So we can't talk about something without also... So let's say we're talking about what it means to guard, as in guard the garden in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. Which we did and on the last podcast. So if you remember the last podcast, this is what we talked about. Go ahead. And so what we're looking for is what that, how that word is used as it moves through the text. And what does it mean to say that the cherubim in Genesis 3.24 and the fiery ever-turning sword are guarding the way of the tree of life? But then in the very next chapter, just really eight or nine verses later, Cain is suddenly answering a question from God and saying, am I my brother's guard? So one starts to understand that guarding the garden is also about guarding people. But then as we move through the text, we learn that we are to guard the Sabbath. Guard and Sabbath, Shabbat, literally means to stop. So guarding the garden is also guarding sacred time. time. Yeah. So it's people, time, and of course there's guarding sacred space. And suddenly, as you start to move through, you go, oh, there's a river of context and a river of meaning. And it's not simply a physical act but it's also what does it mean to guard the ruach, the spirit that's moving through all of it. So we're holding a web of, of sacred trajectories moving through sacred textual space and time. Is, is this that, beginning to address what you're... That absolutely does. And then we go, when in terms of guard, we go all the way to Numbers 13, I think it is, where, it's where we read uh, the, the blessing from Aaron the Lord bless you and keep you. And the word keep is guard. So you sort of go, go full circle into saying, as you go about guarding the garden, guarding sacred time, guarding each other, you will be guarded by God. And that's right. how you do it. Exactly. And in Numbers chapter 6, where that is... Um, 6, not 13. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll fix that. I lost all my rabbi points. <laughs> Gone. You're good. My Torah stars. Don't worry. Tarnished. <laughs> my crown in heaven. 
destroyed, <laughs> taken off. Can we edit all this out? No! <laughs> no? This oh, is all dude. the juice. Okay, so There's anyway. no editing on my podcast, Dan. Oh, There's no editing. I live in a commonwealth of ignorance. We don't edit. <laughs> so, um, in number six, where that word guard is used in the uh, priestly blessing, it ends with, uh, shalom, and you shall place upon them shalom, peace. And so guarding leads to ultimately being in a state of shalom. And a quick reminder, shalom has the root shalem, and shalem means to be whole. So where the guarding is leading us is to a sacred wholeness. And fascinatingly enough, in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, there's a time for every purpose under heaven, the very last piece of that in verse 8 is shalom. So when Solomon is writing Ecclesiastes chapter 3, he very clearly understands that dimension that it all comes to a state of wholeness. And in a sense, we understand so much by this because if my love doesn't ultimately lead to wholeness, then I'm not loving. Right. So I can say I love you, but if somehow my loving you is is harming you or setting you away from others. No, that's not where we're going. We're going towards wholeness. And that's really reflected also in Leviticus chapter 19, where it says, love your neighbor as yourself. And then just a very few verses later, love the stranger as yourself. Oh, okay. So it's not this, the people I know. It's, in fact, you kind of created this um, lovely completion love your neighbor okay all the people i know love the stranger oh all the people i don't know oh so yes. there's nobody left out of this yeah and in that way i think these words love guard wholeness peace it's like we think we can contain them and and own them but they can't be contained they can't be owned they keep flowing like like rivers through the sacred text and through our sacred lives. And in that way, that's why we can't just, well, I love God, but I don't love you. Love doesn't work that way. And I want to actually connect something you said earlier about talking to Noah about things. If I think I or my generation has a lock on all the possible understandings of Scripture that's trying to contain it right and that's not love i hardly think my generation or whomever the we is is the alpha and the omega of all possible understandings of scripture <laughs> and the moment you say that you kind of go well of course we couldn't possibly be so of course the next generation and the generations that follow will see things that we missed i mean inevitably yeah it has to be that way yeah unfortunately i think um I remember hearing John O'Donohue talk about false nostalgia. He says fundamentalism, fundamentalism, which is a protecting of, of things that I believe, is a kind of false nostalgia where we stir up a past that never existed anyway, and then we dream about it as if it was the, the perfection of all things. Versus looking at the future and saying, you know what? Uh, it will continue to be what it will continue to be. The generations that follow us will continue to build upon the good work that we've done, but it's imperfect, the good, imperfect work that we've done. And we're at our best when we realize my work isn't complete. 
I do my little part in this great universe of God and God's love. And um, we're just following the river however long it takes us. <laughs> and then our sons and our daughters, uh, both literally and metaphorically, take over. And everything you say, 100% agree, and context shifts experience. And what I simply mean by that is, in Exodus, when the Israelites leave Egypt, they go out into Sinai, and they're there for 40 years. And in that time period, 3,200 or so years ago, if you were in Sinai, for whatever extension of time, you could be there, and nobody would bother you, and nobody really cared. By the time you hit the time of Jesus, it's already completely changed, right. meaning 1,200 years later, or about 1,250 years later, the Romans are there. And actually, if there is water to be had, if there are minerals to be mined, the Romans have encampments or some kind of trading movements through the area. So that, and in fact, um, I was leading a, co-leading a hiking study trip to the mountain, mountains of Andalusia in southern Spain. And we were crossing a river-carved chasm on a bridge. There was no bridge five miles in either, either direction. The bridge was built by the Romans about 1,700 years ago. Nobody has needed a bridge there since, um, and probably nobody needed one before. And, and this brings us to the heart of something that Jesus teaches, which is so very extraordinary, profound, and contextual, both in Roman times to this second, but not contextual in the time of the Israelites leaving Egypt. In the world, but not of the world. Meaning, you could go out to Sinai and be there for 40 years, 3,000 some years ago, and you're completely free. By the time you hit the life walk of Jesus, suddenly, mm, if there's something to be had, the Romans are there, whether it's Sinai or Spain. And when you start to think about the expanses of space, that in physical reality, that is. So, he's bringing a teaching that one didn't need. Right, which underscores, as you so beautifully did, the fact that we need to continue, we need to give what we give, but then give it to the next generation to solve the problems we could never solve because they were not created in our time of emergence. Right. They are created in Noah's time of emergence or, you know, um, our kids, whatever. Okay, right. beautiful. Thank you. Now we're going to get into numbers. Uh, but that's why we can say with confidence the scriptures happened, are happening, and will happen. Right. That's why we're so fascinated with the scriptures. Yeah. That's why they're not a wooden document meant to be the owner's manual, which we pull out when our you know, metaphorical clothes dryer breaks down, and that's the only time we would ever use it. Right. Um, no, they're, they're, they're stories um, and truths that are more than literal. So just before we get to numbers, one more quick thing, which is one of the things that we've discussed before, but I feel is so important, um, is that our own lives are sacred stories. And if we read the text and don't see that those passages are actually our own lives, and our own lives are those passages, and that the sacred didn't stop when the writing stopped, that our own lives are sacred stories also, 
we deprive ourselves of being made in God's image and God's likeness. We deprive ourselves of the holiness that is in the whole creation and us. So, um, and so many people I meet nowadays, I, I don't want to speak for you, you um, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this actually, don't see their lives as being sacred. The, that's somebody else. That's maybe the Pope or maybe some other famous person who's holy. Rabbi Alan Allman, for example. You can call me. Yeah, <laughs> I, I did that. So, so. no, I, I, we were, we were before we turned on the mic. We were talking about uh, Rabbi Lawrence Kushner, and uh, his. I was just listening to an interview with him and Krista Tippett, where he explained. He said, "There are two ways of understanding God." <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I always perk up and be like, "There are two ways, really? Aren't there a million? Uh, but then when he explained it, I understood it right away. He said, so there's one view where if you picture a circle, a big circle on top of a page, and that, of course, is God. And then you picture a little dot underneath that circle. And that, of course, is me and you in the world. And so in that view, God is above. God is hierarchical. God is separate. God is without. God is external. And I'm down here, and God is up there. And that's very Western. There's another way of looking at it, which is more Eastern, which is same circle, but take that dot and put it within the circle. And now we are living and breathing and moving inside of God. And where does God end and where do I start is a mystery. And there's freedom to move, obviously, freedom to interact with each other, but we're doing so within a larger reality that is utterly different than us in the fact that it had no beginning and had no end and and is ultimately generative and from that energy from that reality we derive all of our generativity all of our creativity all of our even freedom our ability to choose ra'ah evil or tov good i would just want to add and i since I didn't hear the interview, I'm not saying that it wasn't said there, that there's a sense of a river of movement. Mm -hmm. So if we could imagine the dots in motion. Yes. In this river of life. Yes. So, because there's a tendency when you picture it, at least in Static. my mind's eye, of not moving. Right. Um, and, uh, yeah, just that little piece. I agree. I agree. Protons, neutrons, yeah. quarks flying around, joining <laughs> each other, making new things. Mm. Okay. Can we get to numbers yes, for sir. the love of Noah? <laughs> <laughs> By the way, Noah, what is your what does your name mean, sir? Comfort. Noah means comfort. And you were named Comfort mm -hmm. because um well, one night when one night when Dad and Mom were laying in bed, I believe Mom was five months pregnant. Um, Dad put his hand on Mom's stomach. Mom had said that I was kicking pretty hard, and at that moment, uh, Dad heard, um, "It's Noah." And then he turns to Melanie and goes, "Did you hear that?" And she goes, "What?" And then he has the incredibly difficult job of trying to convince his wife that he should name their child Noah because she has rights and is able to make decisions and is able to be a part <laughs> of that pro rights. process. And you can't just say, no, 
I mean, it's Noah. That's all there is to it. So, but mom <laughs> is incredibly generous and is an absolute saint and uh, is very, very, very good to us. And so um, she agreed and uh, got my name Noah. So some of you listening to the podcast have met Noah. Some of you know Noah. Uh, Noah, you stayed with us and our family for a couple days. It was so fun. Such a delight. And in you know that Noah was named rightly. I know that you were named rightly. You are comfort. You bring comfort to others, and that's part of your destiny. So names, that, that's another podcast we could do is names. Oh, yeah. Maybe that's the next one. Yes. Names. Just say yes to Steve. Always. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he liked that one. We're never going to get to numbers, though. Okay, so three. Let's start yes. with three. So in Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 4, Abraham is called to actually lech lecha, go forth for a second time. The first time was in Genesis 12. And in that Genesis 12 passage, he's called to go forth from his native land, his kindred, and his father's house. In other words, leave his life as he's been, been living it and thought he was going to continue to live it. And he does. In Genesis 22, he goes forth. Again, those words lech lecha are used for the second time. And in this case, he is to take his son, his singular one, the one he loves, and offer him on a mountain that God will show him. So he goes forth, and in verse 4, it's on the third day, and he lifts up his eyes from where he is, and he sees it in the distance. And this is the moment where the number three starts to be contextualized in a way that the reader can click to what is happening. So it's the third day, he lifts up his eyes and he sees it in the distance. He's not where he started, he's not where he's going, but for the first time he can see where he's going in the distance. There's so many layers to that, so I want you to unpack. <laughs> yeah. Physically he's not where he is, or not where he started, not right. where he's going, but there's another sense to where that's true as well. Right. Um, so there is this dimension of our lives, which I want to suggest is we're journeying and we're kind of on a journey and we kind of have a sense in the back of our hearts where we're going, but we don't really see it. And then there comes a moment when we see it and in seeing it, we now know on a deep, more full level, that's where I'm going. And that moment of seeing it in scripture is designated by the number three. I'm not where I started. I'm not where I'm going, but from where I am for the very first time, I can see it. So it's not surprising that it's on the third new moon that the Israelites in Exodus chapter 19, verse two and one and two come to the wilderness of Sinai and they see Sinai in the distance. Not surprising that it's on the third day in the belly of the fish in the bottom of the sea that Jonah finally sees, oh yeah, I'm actually going to Nineveh after all. And he's obviously about as far from Nineveh as he could be, but no, he's still going there. So the use of the number three just pulsates through the text and of course into New Testament as well. Um, three days that Jesus is buried. Um, so 
and also uh, the ninth plague, but we could just generate example after example. It's there's dark and darkness in the land of Egypt, light in the Israelites' homes, and that light lasts for three days, meaning this is the light that tells them after 400 years of slavery, oh, that's not where they're going to be anymore. Even when you really kind of dig into what it means to be someplace and be in a condition for 400 years, that can become pretty definitive and determinative and definitional of our identity. But no, we're actually leaving this place forever, which is kind of an incredibly radical thought to think of a whole community doing that. So the number three, when it shows up, is about the capacity to see it and know that what one's past, present, and how one has thought about one's future is not, in fact, where you're headed anymore. Can you be... I have two questions. One, I want you to tell a brief story about when you've had a moment like that. Uh, two, can you be at a day three moment and miss it, not see it? So, okay, so first um, a story. Um, I tend to be actually uh, somebody who is just teaching a passage so as far as I'm concerned, I'm teaching this verse. If the room connects with it, then we move on to the next verse. Now, the next verse might not be the next verse. The next verse might be in a whole nother book. But wherever, but you can't move on until you, so I'm very step-by-step step and in some ways strangely incremental for somebody who's as random abstract as I am. So this is kind of a, um, a note to my incrementalism. Um, I was teaching in England, it was five or six years ago now, and it's an evangelical group in England, although evangelical in England, it doesn't exactly mean what evangelical in America means, but setting all that aside. Another podcast, <laughs> what does evangelical in America mean? Yes. Mic drop, ladies and gentlemen, no one knows. Can we bury the term finally? Is it helpful anymore? Back to yes, you. Yes, right. What, what he said. So, um, so it's, a, it's a room that I've taught in for a couple of years now, and there are 30 or 40 people in the room, and we're studying Genesis chapter 41, and the particular moment in the passage where Pharaoh is brought before Joseph. And the question I put to the room is, who is the most alien other that you have ever asked to come into your life and then asked for advice and listened to it? Because, of course, Joseph is pretty incredibly alien other to Pharaoh, so who is the most alien other that you ever listened to? Because Pharaoh is, of course, going to listen to Joseph. And suddenly there's this gentleman in his early 50s, and he starts to weep. Um, very British. It's silent, stiff upper lip. His face is hardly moving, but the tears are just pouring down, and it's, and it's just, that's just not what generally tends to happen. So the room gets very quiet. And he composes himself, and I said, would you care to say something? And he says, could you ask your question again? And I say, who's the most alien other? And he says, um, you. And the whole room bursts out laughing. And so there's a, there's a good bit of laughter. And then 
everybody kind of composes in ourselves. And I turn to him and say, would you care to say more? And he says, a terrible thing, a terrible tragedy happened about 1900 years ago. A wall started to go up between my people and your people. And as that wall went up, it just got higher and thicker, wider and higher and more impenetrable. So that the idea that, that devout Christians of faith and devout Jews of faith could study scripture together, not join sessions where I'm okay, you're okay, we're gonna respect everybody's rights, but actually study God's word together, that became pretty much unthinkable. And what I feel like is happening in this room on this day, he continued, is that some of us are attempting to take one or two bricks out of that wall. Now, we probably won't get too far, and we certainly won't bring the wall down in our lifetimes, but at least we're not adding bricks to the wall, and we're not ignoring the wall. And to be honest, I hadn't seen it. Mm. I hadn't thought about it. I w it wasn't on my radar screen. And suddenly, all in, a, all in a heartbeat, I understood something that I was doing that I didn't even know that I was doing, but I had been doing already for a number of years. Um, and so it was a day three moment. Mm -hmm. I saw it in the distance. And I must confess it has um, changed the trajectory a little bit of my life. I mean, I'm still teaching. I'm still teaching the people I'm teaching. But when you see it, you can't help but to go, oh, yeah, of course. Isn't that important? Doesn't that matter? Wouldn't we want to be doing that? Yeah. And just a couple weeks ago, we sat in a room with some Christians and some Jews devout people of faith all of them and we studied the scripture together and it was electric it was amazing it was incredible and the amount of story and perspective that was so diverse that was brought into the room was just beautiful and yeah. you could see people connecting in a way that just it's so hard to happen so hard to happen but it's so beautiful when it can I think that speaks to the dynamic nature, the movement that you were talking about that wasn't quite, you know, in the in the 2D version of the dot within the circle. When it gets 3D and when we start to bring video into it, then then we see we see the movement and we see the possibility. So so that's 3, it's where you know that you're not where you were and you've sort of forever left it. And you don't totally know where you're going, but for the first time you see it. And I think for listeners, like if you think a little bit, you've been there. Um, it might be the moment you laid your eyes on your little newborn baby. It might be the, the moment that you got laid off from your job. It might, I mean, it could be tragedy, it could be joy. Um, it's that moment where you just, you, you know that you know that you know that things won't be the same. Um, one more quick story, yeah, if I yeah. may. A totally different type, different type of story. Um, so um, our daughter is four and a half, five years old. She's in the back of the car, and I'm driving. 
And I'm just driving the way I drive. Um, I was younger then, significantly. And uh, I turn around at a certain point, and she's clearly scared. And she actually has a, um, almost a tear forming in her eyes out of fear. And I, and I just turn around and say, we're at a red light. Sweetie, what is it? And she says, Daddy, your, your driving is scaring me. And I'm, my, my heart just was pierced, just pierced. You know, a daughter is born, it's your first child, and you're just so excited and you just so love her with every fiber of your being. And then you wake up one day and you realize, oh, I guess I haven't really totally clicked to what it means to be a parent. Yeah. Although I think I have. I think I'm living it. I'm loving it. I'm so grateful to God. You know, I'm all there. Uh, no. Yeah. So it was a moment where, a very small moment, it only took literally five or ten seconds. I wasn't where I started, but at that moment I realized I wasn't where I was going. Yeah. But I could see it in the distance, and I actually realized I had a pretty long journey to go. Yes. So it doesn't have to, it can be in the, what I would call the micro sacred moments yes. of our lives. It doesn't have to be in the big ones. Yes, right. Um, now, you asked a question and I didn't yeah. get to it yet, but I kind of wanted to get that second story in to get to it. Can we miss it? The simple answer is, sadly, yes. Because okay. I could, of course, kept driving. I could have not turned around. My heart might not have been pierced. I might have just said, well, She's a little girl. She needs to grow up, get tough, learn how real life works. You can always do that kind of stuff in those moments. Or you could have just kept driving and not learned, turned back and noticed. I mean, you could have not even looked at her. You could have been thinking about your own thoughts, listening to something else. You could have been just driving, which is what most of us do. And I think, in truth, that wasn't the first time that happened. Sure. So I think the grace in this, mm. my mm -hmm. experience is... Yes, you can miss it, but fear not. It'll come back around. It might be harder the next time, <laughs> you know, because there's more um, scar tissue built up around whatever um, whatever needs to be addressed. Um, but it, but my experience is it will come back around. Um, but it might be a little harder to learn the next time because right. you know, you've built some more calluses around it. Yeah. So, and I really want to uh, second what you just said. There is this enormous beauty of we keep getting another opportunity yeah. and another opportunity. I don't think that room in England when that happened was the first time. It was just the first time I kind of cued to it. Yeah. So I like that. I like yeah. that. And okay, last thing about day three, I'm gonna bring it to the newer covenant. When Jesus is raised, Mary's there, not his mother, but Mary of Magdala, and she looks at him, and she doesn't recognize him, even though it's him. So how can that be that the, the risen Jesus is is not recognizable? She thinks he's the gardener. Interesting. The writer is now bringing the garden. They're in the garden. That's where <laughs> Jesus is risen. It's, it's new day one. But it's also day three because Jesus has, has risen on the third day. And when she recognizes him, it's when he says her name, Mary. And then it's like you, you, you get the sense that she starts weeping and, and hugs him. But then he says, don't hang on to me. 
I have still yet to ascend to the Father. And I think there's something about, like, so she's getting a view into, oh my goodness, life as we have known it is no longer. But I, I don't exactly know what it will be, but I, I'm getting this picture of humanity. So this is a meta story right here. I'm getting a picture of humanity that is being changed, that will be renewed, that God is making new, and I get to be a part of it, and I get to be front row seat to it. I get to participate in it. But hang on, this isn't the end. Don't hang on to me. This is just the beginning. And I think that's, and it's like, maybe some listeners like resurrection, I don't know about that. I, I, don't, I, don't, know, I don't know if I believe in that. Okay, that's, to, I'm okay. But don't miss the, 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 what's been flowing through the scriptures since the very beginning. Uh, which is this, it is going somewhere. We are going somewhere. Mm. Humanity mm. is going mm. somewhere. And it's because of God's tikkun olam, the restoration of the cosmos, of all, of all things. That's what's happening. That's where we're going. Yeah. And um, so that's part of understanding three, yeah. my understanding. So I just want to add that that beautiful, beautiful statement you just made in the garden. Yeah. And so to see ourselves as being in the garden, in Garden of Eden, Garden Eden literally means delight. So it's to see ourselves in the Garden of Delight, to see that even that fascinatingly enough is a verb, meaning there's movement. And if you try to hang on to it, well, you can't. Yeah. Um, you know, in that beautiful moment when our daughter was four and a half or so, she was so beautiful and you could be wanting to hang on to it but of course now she's 31 yeah and she's so beautiful and now she's 31 and that's yep and we're all in motion and and you talked about it so beautifully about turning the past into an idealized thing rather than it was beautiful and it is beautiful, and it can be beautiful. Yes, and it's moving, it's morphing, yeah. it's transforming, it's growing. Your 31-year-old daughter, Laura, <clears throat> thank goodness, is not the four-year-old daughter, right. Laura, anymore. Exactly. But we want to hold on to these things. Yeah. All right, let's move on to, to the number five, if we can. You know, I was, um, just because of time constraints, yeah. I was wondering if maybe let's um, go to... Uh, oh, I don't know. I'm so torn here. Uh, but seven or forty, you pick. Uh, let's go to seven and no, let's go to forty and then seven. Okay. I think um, for some reason I think that may be more delicious, but it okay. doesn't matter really. Okay. So yeah, um, let's go to forty. Forty. So um, one of the very first usages uh, of the number forty in the text is it rains for forty days and forty nights, and that number just pops up all over the place 40 years in the wilderness 40 days on top of mount sinai 40 days that the 12 representatives of the tribes look at the promised land and come back with their reports in numbers chapter 13. so we see the number 40 showing up uh, in any number of places so what is 40. it rains for 40 days and 40 nights basically anything not on the ark comes to an end. So clearly there is death. 
40 years in the wilderness, a generation that was born of Egypt dies off. A new generation is born that knew not Egypt. 40 days of, of going into the promised land and seeing it and then coming back. So, 40, something dies, and then something is born. What dies, of course, in the Noah passage is pretty clear. Everything not on the ark. What's born is that which was on the ark comes forth to create new life. 40 years in the wilderness, a generation dies that was born of Egypt. A generation is born that knew not Egypt. And that generation that's born that knew not Egypt, that's the generation that will go into the promised land. 40 days and 40 nights on top of Mount Sinai. What dies? Well, the reality of living in a world without having received God's living word. What's born is living into God's living world, word in our world from that point forward. Death, birth. So, of course, I want to present the idea simply that it's a gestational statement. Forty weeks to childbirth. Actually, not nine months, 40 weeks. Something is being born. But then you might ask, okay, I can see 40 gestational something being born, but why does death precede birth? And in a sense... We all have known this experience in so many different ways, but let me just present it in one way, but there are many. Um, you might remember your life before your first child was born, and then again, you might not, because whatever that life was vanished the moment that first child was born. And so there is something that vanishes when something else is born. and. One can look at this on so many different levels. Sometimes I try to climb back into a world that I once knew that did not have personal computers, did not have iPhones, did not have internet, that did not have, and it's very hard to remember even how I experienced that world. I really have to work very, very hard to remember. And in a sense, I want to suggest we've all had that experience something being born, but something dies when something is born. And of course, we've been having that conversation in a strange sense all this morning. Um, something is being born just by the fact that the next generation, of course, is coming forth with all their dreams and visions and hopes for what they see as not finished. So 40, moving through the text in so many different ways. Of course, we remember Luke chapter 4 where Jesus is taken into the wilderness for 40 days. Um, so many different passages. And in that passage, that's the passage that precedes his beginning and his going to Nazareth, which also happens in Luke chapter 4, which announces that now he has come. Yes, to preach good news to the poor, to heal the sick, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Right. Isaiah 61. Yes, yes. Yeah, he quotes that. He unrolls the scroll. And what do you think dies in the wilderness of Jesus when he's there? Oof. Great question. What dies is a sense of being in the garden 
in intimate relationship with Abba with no responsibility. Yeah. Meaning he could have stayed there, but if he stays there, then he can't go forth. Right. Beautiful. I think we tend to forget that. I think a lot of us think of Jesus, even the four-year-old, as this robotic person that knew exactly what was going to happen, knew what his mother was going to say when he dropped the, when he spilled his milk, and right. you know, versus, you know, he, he had a profound in intimacy with Abba for about 30 years, and then he was called into uh, his mission, right. and he could have said no. Well, you know, it's very interesting because I think there's this tendency to read his life as not a verb. Right. Whereas, but if we actually think about it, he's always in motion, he's always moving, and it actually says in Luke chapter 4 that he was tested and he was hungry. And it's one of those things that I think perhaps doesn't get talked about a lot, but what does it mean to say that salvation who is a verb, is hungry. It's a very yes. intriguing question. I mean, it's not obviously not the topic of this podcast. It could be a huge conversation, but... Yeah. Actually, I'd be very curious what you think of that. Well, I think I think you're right on the money with, with that. And I, I tend to think, it's because if the purpose of a test is to bring out that which is already there, that's Deuteronomy... Um, eight, eight, two, and three. Yeah, two yeah. and three. Um, then in, in, in a very real sense, Jesus, something needed to be brought out of Jesus that was already there, but that he needed to see so that he could do his mission. And lately, I've been thinking very in a very real way, the temptations that he faced in the wilderness, he needed to face them down before he went to the cross. The things that he faced in the wilderness enabled him to stay on the cross. That's what I think, because I don't think, I mean, because clearly he's experiencing anguish on the cross. In the garden, he's saying, let this cup pass from me. I don't want to do this. This is going to be excruciating, but not my will, but yours be done. Because he faced that hunger and because he faced those temptations, he heard the voices of the tempter and he heard the voices of his Abba. He felt the hunger for the bread. And he got the words of God from which he could really, um, you know, you should not live by on bread alone, but by every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. He experiences that. And that's Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2 and 3, wherein a test is defined. Exactly. So he's saying he understands in Luke chapter 4 that this is a test. Yes. And in a sense, that's the quantum of consciousness we often are missing when we don't understand in real life that this is a moment of test. Yeah. And the test will show us what's in our hearts. But if we don't have that consciousness, then we'll, we'll just respond in a sort of animal lashing out or run. Or run. Yeah, right. that's amygdala or amygdala response, fight or flight. Well, either, yeah, versus, we did it last night in this beautiful event with Steve Haynes and Ryan Corcoran and you, and but we learned to breathe into it and to endure the test. And that, in my opinion, is what the wilderness is all about, to learn 
to do without that which you run to or flee from. To breathe and realize there's a greater reality from which to be nourished. There's a greater and much more nourishing. And when we can do that, and it takes discipline and it takes choosing. Um, choose, therefore. Um, um, see, I said, see, I said before, before you, you. Yeah. Life and death. Yeah. Choose life that you may live. Choose life that you live. And to me, that's when spoken in the wilderness, choose life that you may live. There's bread I could eat. There's the words of God I could eat. Um, and I could eat the bread. I can eat the bread. And I'm not a bad person to eat the bread. I'm not a bad person to drink the scotch. I'm not a bad person to... Hey, you're getting personal now. (laughs) (laughs) But there's another choosing. And the wilderness and the testing is not an exam. You're going to fail and you have to... Anxiety. It's It's the beautiful gift of the opportunity to choose the life that is set before you, which is the nourishing verbness of God saying, I will be what I will be is going to give you what you need for this next step in your life, which will lead to tikkun olam, the healing of all things, and your own soul if you go there. Yeah. And this is um, very interwoven to some things we were talking about earlier. See uh, Deuteronomy 30, verse 15. See, I set before you this day life and good, death and evil. And then a little bit later in, the, in those verses, therefore choose life that you that you will live. Um, but... The text isn't really talking about living as in breathing. This is Deuteronomy 30 we were just quoting, but just a little bit earlier in Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, it says, And you will circumcise your hearts and and the hearts of your children, that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you will live. Yes. So living is loving God with all our heart and with all our soul, and loving our neighbor as ourselves. Leviticus 19, and loving the stranger as ourself. So living, of course, we got to breathe to live, but living is that act of loving, which is, of course, wildly vulnerable, which brings us right back to being in the garden, um, naked and unashamed in the garden of delight. So what does it mean to walk this earthly plane, kingdom of heaven on earth, being wildly vulnerable, loving our neighbor as ourself, loving the stranger as ourself, and that is living. Yes. And because we're verbs, and because we need to learn how to live that way, we will be led into the wilderness so that uh, tests can happen, so that we can expand into, you know, because we're not, like, we're not given a, a... we're not preloaded necessarily with the ability to do all those things. Um, we need to learn them. Right. Well, and, and in a sense, this hooks us into something we were talking about earlier. What does it mean to be on a boat for 40 days and 40 nights with all of the creatures? And comfort, I think, one of the things I really am working on right now, climbing out of, is our... is what I understand is a sort of common definition of comfort is being comfortable. But when we actually look at Noah in the Noah passage, comfort means creating an ark, meaning creating a sacred space <clears throat> that can preserve life from the flood waters 
and nurture that life and nourish that life until it gets to the time when it can go forth. And one of the reasons why I'm, uh, I'm very comfortable with thinking about this this way is are the two are two passages one that comes after and one that comes before when Yochaved in Exodus chapter 2 builds what she builds it's actually a teva an ark the exact word that was used for ark in the Noah passage and she places it in the water in the reeds in the river it preserves life from drowning just as the initial ark did so that to build an ark and place life in it is to understand that comfort is about also a sense of understanding how big and overwhelming things can get and yet one knows how to construct sacred space to preserve the future in the present tense that is but all that is preceded by the first usage of the word comfort which is actually not in the noah passage it's um in genesis chapter 2 verse 15 and god put place no actually comforted adam into the garden of delight by the root there is noach and so god comforted adam into the garden oh placed him in that place um so that Adam and Eve could go forth. So this idea of comfort as being comfortable, it, it's, it's not that it's inaccurate, but it's, it, there are a lot of dimensions to what Noah means, which seems to me very important in the conversation of all the things we're thinking about, um, especially in terms of the number 40, because returning to that for a moment and weaving it into this conversation, the 12 representatives of the tribes are sent into the promised land in Numbers chapter 13. And they come back and they see it is as Abba said it is. It, they see, all 12 of them, that it is a land flowing with milk and honey. So they all agree on that. But here comes the challenge. Ten of them don't build the ark that would allow the people to enter. Ten of them say, um, in one of those really heartbreaking verses at the very last verse of Numbers chapter 13, we were grasshoppers in our own eyes. Well, that does not inspire the people. It doesn't build the ark. Everybody grows afraid. And even though two, Caleb and Joshua, say it's possible, um, they can't convince the people after what the ten have said. So comfort is about that capacity to move from that which swirls around us, which might overwhelm us, to bring us into that which would bring forth the sacred future. It's like being in a womb. You are not in a womb to stay there forever. You're in a womb to be nourished, yeah. to be grown, so that you can be born into the world. Right. And do stuff, right. participate in the restoration of all things. Yes. So good. Oh, I love that. Okay, let's. Can we move to seven? Reporting for duty, sir. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, first usage of the number seven: uh, seven days of creation, or six days of creation, and the Sabbath. And 
in a sense, we are being introduced to so many things. But on one level, of course, straightforward, it's the creation that then everything will flow forth from. At the same time, we're looking at the creation of sacred time. And in Leviticus 23, we start to understand what this means. So, seventh day in Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, is the first time the word kadosh is used. Holy. Um, kadosh actually literally means set apart. Set apart for God, therefore holy. And the first thing that's set apart for God, fascinatingly enough, is Shabbat, stop, um, Sabbath, sacred time. So, if we are willing to stop in time, we have the capacity to experience God simply present, not asking us of anything, not attempting to get anywhere, just presence. And that presence is wildly nourishing, encompassing, whole-ing, if you will. And to me, when um, Rabbi Kushner is creating that beautiful visual, mm -hmm. um, that's sort of a Sabbath visual to me. I yeah. mean, it's just, just so sweet. So now we're in Leviticus 23, and the first holy day in Leviticus 23 is the Sabbath. It's on the seventh day. Fascinatingly enough, the second holy day is the 14th day, which is the Sabbath, but it's no longer just the Sabbath in Leviticus 23. It's also Passover. Mm. Passover, um, you can kind of get down to two words, leaving Egypt. So, a quick reminder, Egypt is in the word Mitzrayim in Biblical Hebrew. Mitzrayim has the root Tsar. Tsar literally means a narrow place. It's topographically narrow because it's all along the Nile. It's um, narrow in a sacred sense because one is made to worship false gods. So, if one will truly stop on the first Sabbath, then on the second Sabbath, one can leave the narrow place. And now we're already seeing, oh, there's a trajectory to Sabbaths. It's not a simple repetition. There's more going on. In Exodus chapter 20, um, at the beginning of the Ten Commandments, Abba says, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of the narrow place, out of the house of bondage. From this we learn, oh, we left Egypt to be brought to freedom. Freedom to be with God. Now we track down seven weeks. And the Sabbath, so Sabbath is one day. Second Sabbath, Passover, lasts for seven days. Ah, we're in some kind of creation here. Seven weeks later, and one day, we get to what is called Pentecost in English. Fifty days later, seven times seven weeks and a day. Pentecost, Shavuot in Hebrew. And this is the time of receiving God's living word, Torah at Sinai. Oh, here it comes. Stop, leave, receive. Oh, we're going somewhere. We're not just stopping to stop. We're stopping to leave. But we're not just leaving to leave. We're leaving to receive. Then, in the seventh month, on the 14th day of the seventh month, okay, seventh month, oh, seven, Sabbath, sabbatical of months. 
And on the 14th day of the seventh month, wait, that's just like what Passover was in the first month, is now the festival of booths or tabernacles or Sukkot in Hebrew. And now in Leviticus 23, verse 40, all y'all, second person plural, will rejoice in sacred community before the Lord your God for seven days. Oh, here it is again. Now we've gotten to where it's going within the cycle of the year. Stop, leave, receive, rejoice. So creation is, of course, the creation of all, but it's also the creation of sacred time. And sacred time is about a way of being in the world where we understand that there is a cycle that brings us from leaving to receiving to rejoicing on an annual basis. But fascinatingly enough, that's not the end of it. That was just Leviticus 23. In Leviticus 25, we learned there are sabbatical years, meaning seven times seven years, every seven years a sabbatical year, getting to the Jubilee year, the 50th year. So we're in larger, larger concentric circles of sacred time, larger, larger dimensionalities of community, growing in relationship with God, experiencing greater and greater levels of freedom, wholeness, unity, oneness by the more we inhabit creation and the creation of sacred time. So seven, um, so listeners, I, I sense that you're going to want to press pause, go back about five minutes, listen to that <laughs> all again, because there was a lot in there. There was, you know, there was the first Sabbath, the first stopping, the second stopping. Then there was the seven weeks until, so there's Passover, then there's seven weeks until Pentecost. So there's this rhythm of, Stopping, leaving, receiving, and rejoicing. So in sacred time, um, because I think there's a sense to which we want to ditch all traditions because, oh, that's just, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's dead to me. Tradition is dead to me. I love how you get into that deep yeah. Yeah. voice there. <laughs> and I wish this was video because my face is all yeah, scrunched yeah. up. And, yeah. Great. But there's another sense in which we can humbly say, I don't, you know, pursuing wholeness is something that's so utterly mysterious that I need the rootedness of tradition and sacred festivals, sacred seasons to remind me of the story of continual stopping and leaving and receiving and rejoicing. And I, I, so that's what, like, that's what I hear. It's a rooting. It's a rooting. It's a looking back so I can remain in the present and look forward into the future. That's what it said. The seven says to me. So, yes, Amen Selah. It's about recontextualizing ourselves in already experience created and extant sacred cycles, which we could step into at any moment. Yeah. Yeah. In other words, truly, we could literally, no metaphor, stop right now, and wherever we are and whatever we're doing. And if we could come present, we might be surprised at what, what we would experience yeah. if we could just stop right now. Yeah. And then when we stop for a week or a month, um, I just had the very, oh, 
unbelievably beautiful experience of truly coming to a full stop for four months. Um, and where you did no teaching, you did you had no you. you, you I did no teaching, yep. no studying, no emails, no phone calls, no yeah. meetings, no nothing for four months, and. Um, it was a time of such incredible presence to um, my beloved wife, to the world, to nature, and to suddenly seeing just how present Abba was with me in all that. And it was so simple. It was just stopping. Yeah. So would it be fair to say if you're going to ex- if you want to experience sacred time you you must first stop yeah it all starts with stopping yeah and so it's fascinating in on day 6 at the end of day 6 human beings are created the adam and eve and then if you think about it and you've you've you all taught me this their first experience of the garden is day 7 right sabbath Right. That's that's what they experience first. So literally, the first human beings start with stopping. Start with that which is holy. It's set apart for them, right? Um, and it's for them, yeah, to rest, right? But wait a minute, they haven't done anything yet. Why why do they need to rest? And I think so. This is this is what I observe in myself, and in our world right now. I love technology. I really do. It's it allows us to. FaceTime with each other, Skype with each other, stay connected with each other. But it also creates a reality where we never stop. So many of us are checking email right before we go to bed, right after we get up. Uh, We carry these little devices around with us that makes available to everyone at all times. And pretty soon we think, I don't want to be available to everyone at all times. Ah, that's freaking me out. But if we forget our phone at home, we panic. Hmm. So we've, we've created this umbilical cord to technology um, that actually we need to sever. We need to stop from that, many of us, yeah. so that we can remember that it is God that nourishes us. And this is back to the wilderness. It is, the, it is God that brings us life. Yeah. It's not even a little buzz when my phone buzzes and I get a text that says I'm important and I'm needed and I'm. Well, you are. You are <laughs> totally. Well, obviously, I mean, you know, there's the deep voice again. <laughs> so I just want to. Jesus says something. It's so simple. It's so pure that it's easy to kind of just go past. The Sabbath was made for man. Yes. Meaning, here's this thing that's been created in time. All. All we got to do is step in, and there we will find God. The Sabbath was made for man. It's right there. Right there. And then we'll find that not only is there God, but there's freedom. And then there's not only freedom, but there's his living word. And then there's not only his living word, but there's rejoicing. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it all starts with stopping. And there's leaving. And there's leaving. Yeah. And then there's receiving. And so what I want to blow up too right now in the two minutes that we have left is the sense of, oh, it's going to take so much time. i got to stop. i got to take a year to learn how to do that. 
Now I gotta leave. Oh, I gotta leave. (laughs) Versus like that whole cycle could happen in a breath. Let me go back to the driving the car story real fast. Yeah. It was in a breath that I turned around. I saw our daughter with a tear in her eye, clearly afraid. And I went, I've got to change the way I drive, which was a kind of leaving, which would only take about the next 20 years to work out. (laughs) So I didn't instantly go from uh, the driver I was to the driver I currently am, Um, which might still need some work. (laughs) But um, yes, so... Yeah, I, 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 there's this tendency to say, oh, I'm going to have to quit my job. I'm yep. going to have to do all yep. these things. Leaving can be, there's all kinds of leavings, and they yep. don't have to be these huge types of things only. Well, and just to get really personal, like a leaving that I've done lately is, um, I, I, and this sounds ridiculous, like why would you need to leave this? But I don't check email before 7 a.m. I just don't. I get up really early, and that's my time. <clears throat> to drink coffee and to now that's not for everybody that some people they they want to get up get their that thing done it's fine but i had to go uh i'm i'm hungry for something that i'm looking for yeah. in a place that's f- neutral it's fine yeah. but it's not going to give me what i'm hungry for so we're going to keep the cell phone off we're going to keep it away from me i'm going to pour a, a cup of coffee So that's a stopping, a leaving, and then I I can receive. My yeah. little son Elijah comes down, mm. and um, in the morning now he he wants to read a psalm with me because he mm. sees me in my mm. prayer. And so I say, okay, you know, pick a number between one and one hundred and fifty. So uh, seventy-two. You know, and then we'll <laughs> open up seventy-two. That is so beautiful, and, Steve. And oh, then we'll read it together, and I'll say, okay, Elijah, you know, what did you hear? And then he'll, you know, say what he heard. And it's beautiful because it's just like, wow, you know, or, ooh. Uh, and then we'll pray. And then, you know, and so, but now here's the other fascinating thing, right? At f- my my first reaction, and it wasn't big, but it was there, was when he came down that first time. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm going to say. I know, I know. Yeah. Uh, this is my time. Get out of here, son. <laughs> This is my time with God. <laughs> That's a different radio voice yeah. than the one I normally hear. <laughs> I turn off my cell phone. Um, but thankfully, by grace, honestly, gift, uh, something else woke up in me and yeah. said, no, this, this, is, this is nourishment. Yeah. So he has this little green blanket. He's, he comes mm. down wrapped in it. So I, he comes right into my lap. And then I realize this is not just for him this is for me yeah this is exactly what i'm trying to do i'm trying to climb on abba's lap and in some mystical mysterious way my son climbing onto my lap is a whole lot it it feels like me climbing onto the lap of abba and it's just all connected and it's beautiful and it's simple and it's stopping leaving receiving rejoicing in a moment amen you know yeah and i didn't look for it i didn't say to Elijah when he went to bed now you better get in your you better get downstairs by 6.50 a.m. you know and and this is what I understand in trying to create a visual of those circles moving yeah there's a river we go around a bend in the river and suddenly we realize oh I don't want to do my emails and then we go around the next bend in the river and suddenly 
our son is walking down the steps, mm-hmm. and can we see it? Yes. If we can, yep. worlds open. Yep. Yep. And when it's in the twenty-third Psalm, um, "Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are standing with me." Meaning, we'll go around that bend in the river, and then suddenly, oh, there he is, yep. standing with us. Yep. When we have stopped to come present to the fact, here's the next bend in the river. There we are. Oh, but there is God also. Yes, yes. Well, um, as is always the case, uh, we could go on for three hours, and yet it's already been however long it's been. We need to stop. Noah, any last comments, thoughts, reflections? Um, uh, One about the life out of death. We Mm -hmm. were... um, I was a teen study about two and a half weeks ago, and there was a young girl, 14 years old, and dad asked the question, have you ever seen something growing out of something that's died? And she goes, well, we go on a lot of family walks together, and I always really love them. And mom always tries to find something growing out of something that's died. And the last time we were on a walk, there was a tree, and it had died, but I noticed a flower coming out of it, and I saw that life coming out of death. And sometimes it can be in our personal lives, but sometimes we can see it in nature. And to see a 14-year-old seeing that was just so, so incredibly sweet. Yeah. 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 Oh, man, that is sweet. That is good. I love that. Yeah. I love that. And can we, to use your name and to use the biblical sense of it, can we comfort 14-year-olds into the... um, responsibility to see those things Mm -hmm. can we can we do that can you do that you are doing that you are doing that uh alan any last thoughts reflections comments about to move on Mm. well first of all uh just thank you for the gift of this it's way too fun and beautiful and actually i'd love to do a podcast i mean there's so many things we'd love to do a podcast on but i'd love to do a podcast on the conversation that yeah. you said you were having and maybe to get one other person in their 20s or 30s in the room so that we could kind of see what we're seeing and what we're seeing going forward. Um, do I have time for one quick yeah, story? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so um, there are these uh, two Israeli tour guides. Uh, one's 32, one's 30. Um, they just got their license in February of 2015 and I'm about to, we're, the three of us are co-leading a trip together with a group from England um, and it's May of 2015. And so the 30 year old I've known since he was three and he's been studying with me since he's 16. The 32 year old I've known since he's 19 and he's been studying with me since then. So we're all kind of circling around all kinds of things and studying together and putting together this trip. And uh, we've got the itinerary and we're living it and we're having the best time. And then you know, as it happens on an Israel trip, opportunities come up that you couldn't have imagined, and an opportunity comes up. And the two of them loft an idea towards me about how to do this particular opportunity on this particular day. And I don't see it. So I say, um, mm, I don't think so. And then I hear them using their patience with parents voice <laughs> on me. Now, I know both families, and I've heard them use that voice, that patient with their parents' voice on their parents over the years, many times. Well, not many times, but often enough. And when they use that voice, over the years, it's been very clear as you watch things progress, nine times out of ten, they're right and the parents are wrong. 
and I went, oh no, they're using their patient with parents voice on me. That must mean I'm wrong. So I just, in a heartbeat, said, you know what? I just realized that's a great idea. Let's do it. And they kind of look at me because I just kind of flipped way too fast. And they said, what happened? And I said, you want me to tell you the truth? And they said, yeah, of course. And I said, I heard you using your patient with parents voice on me. So they both blush. And, but then we go do it. And it's brilliant. Yeah. It's brilliant. And I didn't see it. But they did. And one of the joys of this time is to see the next generations coming forth taking some of the things that our generation may have taught them but also all the things they're seeing and what they're creating so to me that kind of a podcast conversation would be incredibly yummy so, so done all right that's easy uh, um yeah that's really okay next time that's our that's our podcast uh you guys are back in november november Look for a podcast. Of, of, oh man, that's that's gonna be juicy, really yeah. juicy. I won't even tell you what it's gonna be about, people. <laughs> just have to hang on. Um, all right, we are out of time, out of sacred time. Mm. <laughs> We're not out of sacred time. Never. Uh, but yeah. just in that story you just told, I just want to recognize the stopping, the leaving, the receiving, the rejoicing. Yeah. I, that was all there. Yeah. And again, it's just in a moment. It's just in a little thing. It's in a mundane. It's in a, it's in the small. Which is most things. Yes. Most things are like that if we have eyes to see it. So thank you, Alan. Mm. Thank you, Noah. This mm. was gorgeous. I can't wait for the folks to hear it. And we always end the podcast the same way by saying we are dust and mm. we are breath. Mm. We are limited and we are limitless. We are human and we are holy. And we're in it together. Amen. And I feel that way with both of you. And I just, you know, actually seeing both of you together helps me see the past, the present, and the future in such a riveting way. Uh, that I volunteer to be the past. <laughs> <laughs> what am I? I'm like the, the in-between. You're the present. I'm the present. Okay. He's the future. Okay. Just um, saying. I'm just saying. Okay. Uh, okay. Love you guys. And uh, this good word, folks. Let me just say this. So um, I did a lot of work in June interviewing a bunch of really fascinating people for the month of July. So I already have all those podcasts kind of loaded up and waiting for you. So every Thursday in July, uh, there is a new friend I want you to meet. And I'm seriously so excited about these four people. Um, The conversations we had were generative and so a couple of them are singer-songwriter authors one of them is a woman who is breaking all the rules about spiritual formation and coming up with just um, utterly gorgeous new ways of being and um, and another one is rethinking the very DNA of church <laughs> it's just really really fascinating so please tune in in July. The reason why I have done that, preloaded everything, is because I will be feverishly finishing my manuscript on my second book, Mm. which I'm about maybe three-fifths done right now, and it is on wholeness. It is on the journey of Shalom, and it is the journey from Egypt 
to the wilderness, to the promised land. And it's about these core questions that these foundational questions that communities and people need to ask. And I, it's like, it's emerging, you know, Mm. it's coming. Mm. It's, and I'm so excited about it. And I couldn't write, I couldn't have written my last book without you guys, and I couldn't have written this book without you guys. So just many, many thanks. And um, it's not going to come out until next next summer, you guys. So, you know, stay tuned. But so the fun. The long and winding <laughs> Yeah, road. publishing takes so long. Uh, yeah. It's like even when you're done with the book, it's like, how long is this going to take to create the cover of the book? I mean, really? Oh, four months. Okay, okay. How long? How, how many edits will I need to do? Oh, oh three rounds. Okay, that's fascinating. <laughs> that's good. Um, okay. Wow. We ended and then we didn't end. There's no place like <laughs> no... Okay. Peace, everybody. And uh, thank you, Alan. Thank you, Noah. Uh, thank you.